Okay, hey, hey, y'all. Welcome back to yet another episode of Black Women Voices. We are in episode five. Is it five? Yes, yes, five. Exciting, y'all. <laughs> we are in episode five of season three of Black Women Voices podcast. This is Jasmine coming to you all straight from St. Louis, Missouri. Yes, yes, it is Dr. K representing North Kakalaki, Greensboro to be exact. This is Dr. V from Wichita State. And we have... <laughs> Hi, this is Ann. I'm from Northern Illinois University. Yes, Illinois, in the cold <laughs> land of the cow, Illinois. <laughs> We have an amazing show today, and we are excited to not have just one, but we actually have two very special guests joining us today. Today, during episode five, our topic is exploring the experiences of Black women doctoral students, which is definitely an experience that each and everybody on this here podcast today can speak to. So before we begin, I definitely would love for our special guests to introduce themselves and just kind of tell us a little bit about yourselves that you want to share with us today. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Alatoria Cranford. I am a lover of higher ed and the black and brown people. And I thoroughly enjoy working in the space and empowering, you know, those students that that need it, especially first generation. So I'm glad to be here with black women with voices and share and engage in a dialogue. So thank you for the invite. Once again, I'm Elisa McKenzie. I'm kind of like a black sheep right now, I feel like, but I'll learn a lot. So I'm coming to you from Montgomery County, Maryland, Silver Spring to be exact. I went to UNC Charlotte for undergrad and for grad, a little brief stint in A&T State University. I'm currently getting my second graduate degree in educational leadership. So hopefully by next year, I should be somebody's principal, assistant principal, or somebody's educational specialist in somebody's cubicle. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to have you both joining us today. Um, and I'm sorry, I said doctoral experiences, but we actually have, we have, you know, we got a little bit of doctoral experience. We got a little bit of graduate experience. And so we definitely don't want you to fill out. So if you're looking to be within a doctoral or a graduate program, or you're currently navigating that space now, we are definitely going to talk about those experiences with you all. So I guess our first question today would be, what encouraged you to apply for your graduate or doctoral program? Was it always kind of a goal for you or did it kind of form along the way? Well, as for me, I always knew I wanted a doctoral degree, but to what head degree, I wasn't sure. And my grandmother always say, well, you're going to be doctor somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that's always been the motivation and being the first, you know, out of my family to go to college, out of high school and leading the way for all the grants, being the oldest grand, you know, she always spoke highly of me. So I had to set the bar regardless. So me choosing to do the doctoral program, I actually applied twice to a couple programs and got denied. And then some people that I started meeting on my higher ed journey, these conferences started telling me about the program at Jackson State. And they encouraged me to, to go and visit. I visited, I, you know, I like the feel, I like the cohort model that they have. But the push to go ahead and get it done done <laughs> is the fact that I'm not a Mr. Cranford. So I'm at the table with a lot of men and they like to kind of, you know, ignore the woman in the room, but the woman actually has the answers that they need. <laughs> I've had some of those experiences. 
<laughs> so that the fact that I'm not a Mr. Cranford also adds a little edge to my moving forward. Although we shouldn't have to think like that, but we have to work like that. So that's mm-hmm. been my push. Mm-hmm. Can I ask another a follow up? Because you said something and it triggered me. What is In a good way. <laughs> In yeah. a good way. Well, because I think we don't talk about what happens when you don't get into a program. Mm-hmm. I think we spend a lot of time like, oh, I got in. Okay, but everybody don't get in their first time. I, I remember very clearly applying, thinking I was going to go to um, get a, a PhD in business and apply twice and okay. did not get in either round. And so I think, yeah, what are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, just for any grad program, just this, you know, if you've had that experience. So let me add also that I've also was hesitant to reapply not because of the denial for the most part, but so my master's came from Walden, completed it, got the degree. And then, okay, let me go ahead and knock this doctor out. I, you know, reapplied to Walden for a doctoral program, but I didn't want it that way. I wanted to go to HBCU mm-hmm. and, and grab it, you know, have that experience and in-class experience because it was going to be online. But the fact that I did take a, a course for that doctoral Walden program, they would not give me my transcript for the master's because of me having that class doctoral it's like oh you can't get your master's because you still have to pay off this class so me not wanting to apply I was like man I can't even get my transcripts to apply to anybody's program but I will apply anyway and send the the unofficial <laughs> and so when I applied applied to Jackson State I was I came out the gate like all I need y'all to do is just give me a chance <laughs> yes the master's complete yes I did take that one course for the doctoral program but it's not the experience that I want just give me the chance and I'll do the rest so when I got admitted it was a good old shout <laughs> it was a good two-step Millie Rock, whatever I needed to do. <laughs> I gave it to him. <laughs> but yeah, the denial, the denial part, you know, it was it was tough. People say, oh, you'll get it, you'll get it. But me having my own personal timeline at that moment was like, I need it now. But it all worked out. I wouldn't change it for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel I I have had an experience where I got rejected and it was hard to not take it personal. Because I felt like I had everything that they wanted, except my GRE was low. And we all know, listen, that GRE, we can have a moment of silence Ooh. on the foolishness that is that GRE, right? The first time I took it, I fell asleep. Don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> Listen, the first time I took it, I laughed all through the math section. I said, oh, <laughs> I ain't seen C in a while. And B. So that's probably why I failed it that first time. <laughs> but honestly... I felt a waste because I was like, I've worked off my tail this whole, you know, experience and my GPA should be fine. I shouldn't have to have this whole thing that's not a determinant of my success. And that was hard. I had to have somebody talk to me through that because I was really discouraged because I wasn't expecting to get rejected in that way. So I think that kind of, I think it brings me to a question of how do you continue to push even after a rejection of something that you felt that you should have gotten in, you know? Like, what's that motivation to make you do it? Reverse psychology, it wasn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think think it's this idea, like, you know, and, and I know at least for me, it was like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then to, to be honest, when you throw in how sometimes religion can, can post this thing on it, like, no, God is sending me in this direction. Really? But did he? Because you're not getting it. Okay, great. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it's that, but I also think it's that, you know, 
for me at least, it was no, like I am supposed to be doing this. And I like, I don't fail. I don't fail. Right. And, and so it, which is misleading because I remember I had a pastor that used to say that failure is written in pencil. Okay. But I didn't even want you to write failure in pencil for me. Right. (laughs) So so, like, I, I don't, you know, but I know it happens all the time. You know, I know what happens all the time. And now I understand why that wasn't the right path. But I think in that moment, you just don't feel like you're going to be able to accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's that, that like right, the right now, like looking at the right now doesn't necessarily mean that your goal is different. You have the same goal. That's just not your path. That just ain't the way that you're supposed to go to get to that goal. And yeah, you know, it's the right. They say delay is not denial. Yes, delay but not denied. No more. That's it. You better come up with a word. Okay. Yeah, I know. I definitely got denied. Don't try to do that. Okay, great. <laughs> but I, I think we like. How do we help people to like like sit in that 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 your that denial from a program is not a denial of you as a person. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's man. a word. Hold it. Hold on. Keep that. Keep that. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So, Alisa, within your graduate program what was it that encouraged you to apply you know to you said to to go so you could sit in your cubicle as a what you say <laughs> as an instructional <laughs> specialist if I, if I don't do if i don't do the state government level i'll probably do the federal government which will be mm-hmm. only sitting in somebody's cubicle i was just being sarcastic <laughs> but then on the other side i was like maybe <laughs> but my graduate program experience was was very very I wouldn't say dramatic but it was like wow like I got to go through all these hoops to to, to do what I want to do mm-hmm. so I got my first master's around 23 24 and I had to do it through a alternate program because I got screwed over in my last year of undergrad mm-hmm. um, I was like for being having my license as a teacher so the two days before I was supposed to walk you don't get your license so I'm like oh sugar honey iced tea I got to do this all over again. So when I did the graduate program the first time, the program was free, but then Mm -hmm. the school, A&C, lost funding and we couldn't complete the program. So I had, when I moved back to Maryland, I went ahead and just like got got the credits I needed and then I got the masters that I wanted. But it just took a lot. It took about five years to do that because of money, because of time, and then because I was also trying to get used to the school that I was at as well. The second one that I'm doing now, it's through Hood College, and it's been great. It's a cohort, so I'm with like five other people that want to do the same thing, which is educational leadership. But the thing is, you know, now, especially with COVID, I don't know what education is, is going to look like next year, because next year is my last year formally in the, in the, in the classroom before I have to be in front of somebody and be like, you know, you need to sit your down before I tell someone. But, you know, it'll just be different, you know, and I don't know right now, like I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know if I want to be somebody's principal because I know how crazy I am, or I don't know if I want to be somebody's educational specialist, like in the federal, you know, like the DOE, because I feel like I want to do something higher up than more so in the school. But you know what? It always takes the, when you go to the bottom to lift people up, that makes the most difference. So I'm kind of torn because it's like, I don't know what 2022 is going to hold. We already in March. So it's just like, I don't know what I want to, if I want to tell somebody what to do, or I want to tell kids, you know, what to do. Not that I want to take charge. That's not my goal, but I just want to make sure I make a difference somehow because education has been crazy these past four and a half years. And I'm just kind of like, 
on the fence, like, where do I fit? Because I know I'm not going to be principal of my school because everybody, you know, that's kind of biased when they start picking and choosing, you know, candidates for that. But it's just the process going through it is very challenging. Yeah, there is one thing you mentioned, you know, of course, it's been very crazy within education, working within education. But how has all of this COVID, you know, how has that impacted, I guess, you all's journeys as far as, you know, being within your graduate and doctoral programs where you once in the classroom and then had to transition or how did that work for you all? Yeah, so our transition, we did fly down or go down once a month to class for Thursday mm-hmm. through Saturday. Mm-hmm. And now we're having to sit in front of a computer Thursday through Saturday from eight to five or nine to six. Oh Eastern. my goodness. Yes. The professors, the professors don't like it either. They're not a fan. You know, they're not. So, I mean, that's the main thing that we do miss. And it takes away from our cohort building and bonding because we were actually pretty, pretty dope and close. So, you know, we, we do miss that. We did have a, like, they had a happy hour at the hotel after every class every day. We miss that. <laughs> yeah, I can you still do virtual happy hours. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, don't let that yeah. stop your show now. We have. <laughs> <laughs> we have. But yeah, the switch to virtual has, you know, been it's been okay, but it's been great financially because it removes some of the expenses that we had to pay, you know, going. But we do miss being interactive in person. So yeah. Yeah. I so I I have a I have a lot of questions and thoughts. Y'all know me. But Alyssa, I wanted to ask, what made you decide to get a second master's versus a, going for a doc degree? When I first started, you know, the school I'm at right now, which is like year six for me in this school, I saw a need for change and I wanted to, everybody since I was like started out with my first master's said, you need to be a principal somewhere because you're sweet, but you're street and we need that in school. And I was like, okay, I know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. But I didn't want to do the doctorate because it was financial burden for me. All my life, especially when it came to undergrad and the first graduate program, I had to fund that. And I never really got a lot of backing for, for it. So for me, I didn't want to go that other route because I knew I was going to break the bank. And then, you know, I have family on two poles of the East Coast. I have New Yorkers and then I have good old Southern people. And so for me, it's like, I don't have that medium of a push. I got to do it all on my own. Love my mama, love my daddy, but I got to do it on my own. And I kind of felt like I didn't have that monetary nor motivation to do the doctoral program. So I wanted to go ahead and just go ahead and get the educational leadership out of the way. Plus Montgomery County, every two years, they bring out a cohort program for educational leadership or any type of master's concentration. And I just went ahead and took it because it would be 2024 before the next cohort. And they have to do it like a lottery pick. They got to pick so many people to get into that cohort to keep it open. And if they don't have enough, they close it. And then they just, they wait to the next year. Wow. I went ahead and jumped on the opportunity. I'm only paying $7,500 each class or every two classes because Montgomery County pays for it. Mm-hmm. And that way, if I want to go higher, which I'm still trying to debate now, I can still, you know, think about those things as I'm going through. And it's it's been a blessing because everything has been so budget friendly. You know, we've been doing virtual classes. 
and then so I know who I'm working with and I know all my professors or our teachers or principals within um, Montgomery County. It's just that I don't I don't know about the doctoral part. I'm just trying to get through this the second master's because every other day is something with principals and right. teachers and education has been treated. And you just have to back up for a second and be like, OK, this is what I got to go through. Mm -hmm. so, well, and, and you said something, too, that. I kind of wanted to ask and expand on and, and also kind of open that up for kind of a broader question. So too, because it sounds like, you know, even kind of the, the conversation of wanting of, of folks saying, Hey, we see something in you and, you know, you know, we want you to be real and that type of a thing. It sounds like folks were wanting you to bring your whole self kind of within, within that process, whether that was your master's or pursuing something um, kind of different. So I guess my question is in thinking of showing up intersectionally as a black woman in that space in a, either a doctoral program or kind of in, you know, your, you know, the master's program that you're kind of doing, what did that look like as it relates to kind of occupying that space and, and making sure that you're bringing your whole self intersectionally in that classroom? Like, what did that look like for, and I have that question for both, for both of you, you both of you all, you could speak to that as well. I had to look deep inside me and just be like, do not be afraid in front of these kids because I've always been on somebody's stage. And when you're in front of these students, you, you are the performer and they are your audience. And I had to learn that quickly because I was always the quiet, shy kid that didn't really say nothing. I had a lot to say, but I didn't say it. And as being a teacher, I had to learn how to project. So a lot of times when I go see my mom's people, you talking? Yeah, I talk because I've had, I've been forced to. Okay, you want me to talk some more? I right, then be quiet. <laughs> so with that being said, you know, I had to kind of look inside and see what do I want people to actually know of me? Um, because when I first started teaching, I got stereotyped a lot. I first started teaching at my old uh, high school. So I'm never going to get rid of this baby face. And so everybody was thinking about, oh, you're still 16. No, I'm 23. I need you to teach me, like treat me like I'm 23. Like stop thinking I'm going to prom. I'm 23 years old. Get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to prove myself early because a lot of people thought I was the sweet, docile person. Mm -hmm. And I had to project myself accordingly as an adult and as a person that thinks and that thinks critically. As far as, you know, color wise, I'm a multi-racial. Multi I identify with about five, six different races, um, a melting pot. And because I went to, now I teach at a predominantly Hispanic Latino, you know, school, I had to learn how to branch out first. First, I had to learn about my culture because our culture, the black African-American culture is so diverse. But then I also had to learn about the culture around me that I was teaching because when I first started teaching, I was teaching this. Now I'm teaching this, this, different shades, everything. And I had to learn how to branch and, and master my craft because at the end of the day, nobody's going to think about you being docile or quiet. They want you to speak up and they want you to talk about what is what are facts, um, especially now. We're looking at facts now. We're not looking at what strategizing and framework we need. We're looking at facts and how to make things better. And that's one of the things that I wanted to bring to you know, the master's program that I was in. How do I make things better? Because we always think about pyramid schemes and pyramid schemes we all know don't work. They work for my maybe like a year and a half and then they, they, they crumble because there's always some something that comes in better to fix it. So that's one of the things, reason why like I, I had to deal with that is to look inside of myself, figure out what 
things can I bring to the table without looking forceful or without being, you know, Miss Goody Two Shoes or Miss Know It All, but still know my craft and still be able to prove that I can do it because I'm a female, I'm a woman of color, fit in in some crowds and in some crowds, who are you and what are you? That is the question I always get. And with all that combined, what is your degree? What can you bring to the table? And besides your looks or besides what you did in the past, what can you offer us now? And that's what I had to do because all my life, all my teaching career, it was, oh, well, she did this back in 19. No, it's 2000, honey. I need you to get up with the program. So that's what I had to do. And from that point, you know, I just had to be myself. I just had just to peel back layers. You know what I'm saying? Peel back the layers and figure out who I am as a person and what I wanted to be in the end. So as for me, I started higher ed at the age of 25 in the Office of Institutional Advancement. So I'm out here having to get dollars. (laughs) So that right out the gate pushed me to sitting at the table with men because most of the fundraisers were men. Even the VP of Institutional Advancement was a man. And me starting in higher ed was came from my character as an undergrad student. I knew nothing about higher ed, but they saw me as a student, student leader, student athlete. I guess my work ethic, they were attracted to it. Okay, we're going to bring her on. So I get a job. I get a call one day. It's like, hey, you want to work a nine to five salary paid job? I'm saying, sure, what is it? (laughs) And so from that point, my undergrad has taught me to always, you know, stay ready. So they asked me to come to the office to, you know, let's talk about the job. It ended up being an interview on the spot. From that moment, working in that office, my director, she, re- she refused to, st- to stand and address the crowd, thousands of people, as she was my director. She's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So it pushed me out to the front. From that day on, I've never been afraid to step up and last minute anything. Apparently, I can figure it out. What y'all need, I'm going to go do it. So even the same thing in my doctoral program now. Most of us in the cohort, we are, you know, of darker skin color. So that's not an issue or anything really to discuss. The ages do vary. The careers most definitely vary. Everybody's not in education. Some of them have an interest to shift to education. So even in that realm, I am forced to step up because I am in education. So if they're struggling in a certain area, then it kind of pulls on me and some others that are in higher ed to kind of feel that blocking and those things that we need to discuss that are non-education related, like policies, you know, we have people from government, government aspects. So my challenges have been age because I'm, I'm only 36, but I'm always sitting at the table with people that are 55, 72, <laughs> you know. You look so- good to be 36, 36 in the, in the crowd, 36, 85 crew, 85 crew. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I I have that barrier with the age and then it might I don't know if it really fits here but even on my campus a lot of the students they will cater and turn to me I guess because I'm more relatable but even other leadership would be upset with that well y'all need to talk to Ms. Cram because she can get them to be here do that and do that I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but I feel like they'd be picking (laughs) but you know I just I just I, I don't really it took a lot of growth. I don't really care what people feel or think. I done been bit, chewed up, spit out family. So people that I really don't know, really not a factor. 
So I, I've been, I've been, my mind has really been trained <laughs> to just keep it moving and not really worry. And if there is an issue, I don't mind asking the question or seeking help. Right. So what I'm hearing, like, even in the pursuit of degrees for, for women, Black women in particular, and thinking about what Dr. V said in terms of someone saw something in you and X, Y, and Z, and then to bring all of who you are to the table. Mm-hmm. Then thinking about going back to something Alyssa said in terms of not having the motivation or the support from family or friends to even navigate some spaces in degree programs, whether it's a master's or a doctoral degree, can you talk about what support is needed? Why is support different for Black women when we're pursuing degrees? And, and once you get those letters behind your name, then you know the table look the table is still there, right? You're still who you know you were before, and now you just have a little bit more credentials, and sometimes that looks different. Um, people. So can you kind of talk about what support you feel is needed, um, especially what you received or not received pursuing your degrees? So I, I think support is needed for us as women because we do get tired, but we're, we're so nurturing and we want to make sure everyone we're connected to do well, have what they need, but sometimes miss it for ourselves. So sometimes they may have some, you know, one of my female friends may have that energy that I don't have the day that I need it. <laughs> so having that support is vital, even if it's just a small reminder, hey, just checking on you. I know you in this portion of your program. How's it going? That allows me to sit back for a moment, take a deep breath and be like, today's not good. <laughs> this week wasn't good. This day was great. Class was amazing. It allows me to actually answer the question and be honest because they make me be honest about it instead of just an okay and keep it moving. So I think support is needed because we can drain ourselves wearing our little superwoman capes. The support that I've had has been mainly in prayer. I I try to get a coin from my parents. (laughs) They were like, nah, you're on your own. So even I had no idea how much aid I would receive entering to this doctoral program but I applied anyway. I applied not even knowing. And then of course it's going to be some debt. And I was like, well, it's good debt. I'm going to be paying it. Just like I pay a gym membership. I don't go to all the time. That's how I psych psych myself with that. So as far as that, but I mean, they do support and they may not say that they're proud of me often. And I don't know if I need to hear it, but I know that they are. Even if they don't say it, it's like, I, they, I am looked to as, okay, this is what we got to get to. But they'll be like, hey, how's it going? I don't even know. When well, my mom asked me today, well, how's school going? That's probably her second time asking. So probably once a year because I've been for wow. two years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, how's it going? I have to voluntarily say what's happening, you know, for that interest. But I mean, mm-hmm. the support is crucial as to be re-energized. Mm-hmm. If that's Do what you need. Huh? Do you seek it? Support? Yeah. Probably not. I, I just tell people, keep me lifted. But I'm only saying that to people that I know have a relationship because everybody going to pray the right prayer for you. <laughs> Listen, come on, that part. <laughs> but other than that, I know I have, to, I, have, I have to keep moving. So I try not to lean, honestly, too much on the human and anybody. Mm. And I know that's probably bad, but uh, it's a growing up thing. I'm feeling. Look, don't, don't feel bad because look, 
I, my dad always has told me, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you if you need something, you know, he got you. <laughs> Dude, you get mad when somebody gives me a couch for a housewarming gift and you want me to ask you for money? Like, really? Yeah. So as far as like for me, I've always been independent. I've, I, I hate asking for help. I'm the opposite because I've always been ingrained. You got to get it on your own because nobody going to do it for you. My nice demeanor has always made people branch out. But at the end of the day, if, if they're not going to do it in the time frame that I present it, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to get it done myself. The support I've always wanted is the time balance. Because for me, you know, when you say teacher, people are like, oh, yeah, you got summers off and, you know, you're in a master's program. You can balance a full time position and you can do, you know, summers or whatever. Look, I'm a 10 month employee. OK, our paychecks stop in July. All right. I still got to pay on this program. And then you talking about, oh, you don't get any PTO. No, we don't get no PTO. OK, we may get a POT, but we don't get a PTO. You know, what I'm saying? So, right. you know, for for that reason, the only support that I ever wanted with this was just to people to understand that if I don't talk to you in two or three days, it's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm trying to get work done. And right. if you're on this with on this ship with me, fine. If not, go float on your little ra- rafty raft over there. <laughs> That's the only support I've ever wanted because I, I hate asking for help. I just hate it because I always, you know how like as human beings, we always want the expectations to be the same way that we would like to be treated. Ooh. A lot of times mm-hmm. because of that, we yeah. always are let down because they're never to the point that we want. And yeah. I know that's one of my um, biggest weaknesses is that I'll give, I'll give my heart's content. But the moment that I see you screw me over, retract. Okay, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to be around you. And I might say, hi, how you doing? How you doing? But I'm not going to hang around you. And that's one of the things that in terms of education, and especially being a teacher, I've seen a lot because people don't understand what we do. They think that we just teach the kids or teach students and then go home and drink tea and, you know, have three or four or five cats and dogs. That is not what it is about. You know what I'm saying? Or that we're in Turks and Caicos over the summer. No, mm-hmm. we're not. We might be eating turkey. Yes. <laughs> That's not what we're doing right now. Cakes, come on. Oh, or cakes, yes. We might be baking a cake, but we're not at Turks and Caicos. So, yeah, for me, I, I've never really tried to ask for support. My mom now, she's pushing 70. My mom now, she asks me every day, how was class? Did you get that assignment done? What time is it due? That's because that's how she is. My dad could give a DAM in, you know what I'm saying? If it looks good on his resume, which it's really weird because it's my resume, because it makes him look good because of our last name is being the same, he's okay. He don't (laughs) care. My mom, she's like, yes, go push, push forward. She's like my Jedi. She wants me to do everything that I, I plan to do. But that's because she only has an associate's degree. So she wanted me to be the, the one to go over her, which I did. So I've never asked for support because I, I always know the support that I want is not the support that I'm going to get. It's a support that people can actually offer themselves mm. of them, that mm. percentage, but it's not the percentage I want to do. Because I'm the type of person, I'm going to work 150 and they may give me 30. What am I going to do with that? That's an earring. That's an earring back. What am I going to do with that? And I think, you know, both of you have hit on something in terms of support, especially as Black women, we, we are the to ask for it, right? 
because going back to that whole thing of expectations, what I'm willing to give versus somebody else who's willing to give. So I always tell people, you know, when you come into my space, it's me asking, what does support look like for you? Okay, that's what it looks like for you. This is what I can give. And then we go from that point rather than assuming that I'm going to support you the same way you support me. And that's not typically the case because we're different people, right? And, you know, like you said, Alyssa, you know, if I give 150 and you only give 30, what, what am I going to do with that? I've never had a conversation with you up front saying, you know, I want you to support me and this is what I need. Can you give that? Now, that's a whole different conversation versus me giving you what I know to give and you just giving me a little bit because you're not expecting to do much anyway in terms of support. And so I think in doctoral programs, master level programs, um, that support matters, whether we get it, whether we seek it out or not. And once again, we're full-time, y'all are working full-time positions. You may have some side hustles, you know, businesses that you own. You have family. And when I say family, you know, not necessarily kids, but, you know, if you're taking care of your parents or whomever, we have a lot going on. And then on top of that, you're in a program. <laughs> and so that looks different uh, for Black women and how we navigate that. And not even talking about what's going on in society, right. how that hinders us. We ain't even touching on that. And so a lot of different factors that come with that. And Going back to in the beginning, you all were talking about the what is it, delayed, not denied, not denied, not delayed, not denied. And I recently was just having a conversation with someone about doc programs. And I was like, AT didn't take me. I applied. I work at AT. They didn't even accept me, right? And in the beginning, I was a little heartbroken at it. And now I look back and I'm like the leading person in assessment for student affairs at HBCUs, working at the largest HBCU, and they didn't even take me for a doc program. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm still thankful at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But to be able to kind of see it from the other lens of it, because hindsight, of course, always 2020. We didn't, you didn't know that there was going to be this after of like, you all don't know who, who I'm going to be, all of that. Mm-hmm. All they see is this, the projection. It kind of, and, and I, and even if you look on the GRE website or any of these websites that have these stringent policies, they say that it shouldn't be used for a sole means of rejection or acceptance in a program that mm-hmm. folks should really be thinking of it holistically. Now, do they? No. Right. <laughs> But also, and we know those tests have a gendered and erased and intersectional bias as it relates to that anyway, but we often don't have those types of conversations within those programs. Right. And they're not. <laughs> no one that. No. So I, I have another question about thought process. When you think about whether you have mentees or young people around you that are really looking up to you, what... How, what kind of conversations do you have with them in regards to pursuing higher education, especially when we're looking at right now with COVID and Alyssa talking about, we don't know what, what education, let alone higher education, is going to look like next year, next couple of months uh, because of what's going on. So I've, I've heard more and more students talking about, you know, I don't need a four-year degree because it's going to be virtual anyway, and I don't want to be in a virtual space, those types of things. 
But when you're talking with younger folks and the fact that you two are pursuing graduate degrees, what does that conversation look like? Has it changed since COVID or just in general? Of course, it's changed a little. But then there's some that, no, let me go to campus because I can't be at home with my people. (laughs) You know, so they prefer to be on campus, even with the restrictions. And then there are others that are like, well, my parents are making me stay home, you know, funding wise. Well, you're not going to be able to have the experience you want to have on campus, then you just need to stay home. So, I mean, it just depends on the student and their situation. Although majority of the students that I hear from their situation is home is not where I need to be. I can't focus. I can't do my work. I need to be on campus. Even if I can't go kick it on the yard or in the student center, just as free as I'd like due to the COVID restrictions. So, I mean, it does look different, even for me as the professional there, creating the engagement looks different. I mean, it's been hard, (laughs) but I try to let the students lead some of the engagement to keep them engaged. That it's not just always me in front of them. Try to mix it up and let some of the student leaders lead the engagement because the students want to hear from the students in many of the situations. So that, that has helped. That's been very helpful to let them lead. But for my institution, they did send a little email. We probably back to regular operations on the, in the fall. So y'all just keep us lifted. I got that email too. <laughs> us too. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know what the fall will bring because my county is still trying to figure out, you know, right. do we bring half back and have half home or do we bring everybody back? Honestly, it's, the same thing with Alatoria. It's mm-hmm. um, been, I let the students lead. I teach quantitative lit and I teach intro to statistics. Mm-hmm. Kids don't know what the heck statistics is. All the stats they see is March Madness basketball brackets. That's all they know. <laughs> so if that's all they know, that's what I put in my math problem. Right. Hey, make it happen. Right here. There you go. It's called a mapping diagram. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Map out who's going to win this. Now, who the heck are these teams? I have no idea, but I let them do it and I let them um, run it. And quantitative lit, I was blessed and fortunate to do that because there's no set curriculum. And because a lot of these kids don't know what a checkbook is. A lot of these kids don't know how to deal with credit. A lot of these kids don't know what a deduction or tax are. That's what I teach. Because at the end of the day, these kids are working adults now. Some of them are breadwinners. Some of them are dealing with COVID very harder than others. So I'm having to be that middle midway person between reality and fantasy. What do you want to know to survive? Because that's all that that's on their mind right now is to survive. And that's what I teach every single day. We'll probably be back into the building because I go back in April to seniors who graduate in eight weeks after they come back. So think about that. So I'm going to be teaching a empty classroom by May 1st. Think about that. But I have to come back April 6th. So it's, it's a lot because it's like, are we doing this for clout or are we doing this for the safety of everybody? Because at the end of the day, these students use us as a vessel and the vessel that they use is not perfect. They have to see that, but we can't front like it is perfect. And that's one of the issues that we've had on my side is telling them what's real versus something that they just fantasize about. 
because a lot of them, I teach students that look, this is, this is, this is trippy. I teach students sometimes that are working as I'm teaching, like they're at the counter selling food and they're looking at their phone, listening to me. Mm-hmm. So I have, yeah. So I mean, this morning I had a girl was like, excuse me, can I take your order? I need uh, three tres empanadas. Hold on, Miss McKenzie, I got to get this order. And I'm like, wait a minute, you yeah. talking about empanadas? I'm trying to teach you about employee benefits and deductions. What are you talking about? Right. At the end of the day, if they can't multitask when they get into this workforce after graduation, they're not going to be any good. And if they can multitask and still get their stuff done, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause at the end of the day, that's the motivation they need right now. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's been hard. Last so, year was even worse. So I guess I have another question then with that. And, and even thinking about you, you know, like the point in the purpose behind both of, you know, the point in the purpose behind, you know, what it is and the importance of you needing to have this type of knowledge to help the next and kind of move on. But how do you, I mean, we, we hear so much about kind of impostorship syndrome and, you know, and, and oftentimes when we look at the literature in terms of how that shows up, we're not really thinking about how that shows up um, within the world of being black women in these programs. And so if you could talk a little bit about, you know, had you dealt with impostership syndrome, you know, how, how did you work through it if you did? And, and how do you, and what does that look like to move through that? Because you know, you have a mission to help and to kind of work with these communities because they need you to function. Oh yeah, that's a good one. When, when, when you ask the question, we get silent, you know it's a good one. <laughs> oh, I know, I was like. <laughs> it is a good one. We, yes, we know that they, they need us. <laughs> but at the same time, oh, how can I say this? Not so much the hand out, but maybe just the hand up. And that's, but it has to be with the individual that don't mind receiving it, if that makes sense. Because you have your group that just feel entitled. Then you have your group that know they have work that they need to do. So the generation now, they, they do feel entitled but they are a group of individuals that <sighs> they need a little more help. How, I, I'm trying to find the cleanest way to, to say well, it. Well, and, and, and maybe, and maybe I want to kind of go a little deeper. So kind of, even when I'm thinking about impostorship, you know, the idea mm-hmm. that kind of the assumption that you know, we're getting into these spaces. We know these spaces weren't created for us to thrive, right? Particularly as I think about higher ed and academia, but with the kind of the concept of imposter syndrome that you already feeling, getting into these spaces and feeling like you don't belong as as you identify as a black woman, as a whatever. And, you know, and research says that we get into these spaces and these grad programs and that impostorship operates as a silencing where we're not speaking up mm-hmm. in class, we're not raising our hands, we're not because we already think we don't belong there, right? And so kind of even, and we know that's what literature says, but I'm wondering if you've had that experience in your in your programs, you know, and kind of, and if you had, how did you work through that? Are you still kind of in that? Like what, you know, because I mean, because for me, that operated where I didn't speak for the first two weeks of class. And this, and I had a black woman professor and it, and for me, I felt like I don't understand anything that any any of the words that are coming out of her mouth. I know I'm smart, but am I smart enough to be here? And it kind of had me always second guessing, you know. Yeah, and everything you said. 
Right. My program, I wouldn't, if you want to look at it that way, I would say to a certain extent, but it's only been with the female professor. Mm. That's been the only time I thought like, I mean, this is my thought and I know it makes sense, but I'm not going to touch it because she's snappy, <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I haven't felt that way with any of my male professors wow. in the program, believe it or not, because it seems to be a little more welcoming than as far as my female professor, an older Black woman mm-hmm. and even slightly younger Black woman. It always seems to be a, a defense of some sort. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe it. That's why I was like, I don't know. <laughs> But that's, that's another episode. That's right. Episode. We're gonna have to come back to that. Yeah, that was deep. <laughs> honey. I was like, I want to unpack that so bad. <laughs> oh, oh, we gotta come back. Right, yeah. that's taking mm-hmm. everything in me not to unpack it. <laughs> I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I, I have, I have had that feeling with female professors. Mm. The two that I've had in this program, I only had, I had three, but only with two of them. Yeah. Um. Ooh. but yeah but those yeah. those two their character was say the h yes <laughs> you know they, they they in charge like it's them like we should be basically on our knees <laughs> Ooh, that their... gateway that that gateway yeah power 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 it's power. power my mind that's it look i'm talking about and- my mind like it's church <laughs> right but in the idea that there can only like y'all go, you're gonna have to bow down in order to even get to where i am and you're in the idea that you're never gonna be able that's, to get there and that's like, what, what does that do that's what their demeanor is yeah and at the end of the day we leave out we leave out of class and we're all on the same page like she tripped <laughs> or what's wrong with her like mm-hmm. we asking her a question she's not giving us answers because they have this defense so even if we are seeking greater knowledge or an exchange for something it's like you're going all around to use whatever terms that don't even answer the question that we're asking like Ooh, yeah. still be still be left hanging Ooh. so these are the yeah. and then it's even worse in the virtual space so that's why yeah i just i women <laughs> no that's who you said some stuff so powerful you just oh yeah. uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> yeah, my God. So thank, thank you for giving us another topic. Come <laughs> on, y'all got it. Go oh, I feel it in my bones. So, yeah. So, Alyssa, have you experienced that anyway? I have, but it's been with super. It's when with supervisors, not my professors. I've, gotcha. I've always tended to uh, deal well with professors because I know that if I see something that I don't like, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it nicely, but right. I'm going to say it. I've always mm-hmm. had it with supervisors or with, I guess, team leaders that are assisting you know, new teachers. I've always had it with them because it may be something about me that they see in them that they don't want to unpack, but because I'm unpacking it, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So... I've always had it with them, but you know what? I don't, I get along with females. It's the male because it's like when I get a stereotypical view or some type of stereotype, when I deal with a male assistant or instructional coach or some type of mentor, and I don't know why it, it might just be because I do sometimes have a masculine energy, but it's not 
a physical masculine. It's more so of an intellectual masculine. Like I'm a female. Okay. I deal with female things. I don't deal with male things, but if we come to a medium, since you're going through the same thing I'm going through, I'm going to tell you about it. And for some odd reason, there's no, it's like, oh, why, why did you say that? Because you're judging me on that. You're judging me on your masculine energy. So the energy that you bring, don't get mad if I bring the same energy back to you. And that's what I've dealt with with the imposter syndrome is that I'm supposed to be quiet because I'm a female because you're telling me something that I already know. And I'm going to agree to disagree, but because you're giving me that masculine energy or you're giving me energy that might be negative or is negative, you don't expect me to talk back to you with the same energy. And that's what I've, and I've had that a lot, especially with males, because they're like, whoa, you're not supposed to say that because you're female. No, I am going to say that because I feel disrespected. It has nothing to do with my gender. Okay? So that's what I've had to deal with, with that. I had, oh gosh, when I worked in DC for the first time, that was what I dealt with a lot. I've had, I was told I don't have a niche, but you hired me for the position, male principal. I should not be emotional in front of the kids because the kids are gonna take advantage, because they're sponges. Well, am I supposed to be a drill sergeant or I'm supposed to be a teacher? I mean, which, which one you want me to be? Male instructional coach. I'm gonna get fired because I don't have, you know, I don't have the, the stamina to hold up against the kids. They're seventh graders, what are they gonna do? You know what I'm saying? At 13 years old, they're going through hormonal changes. So they wanna bring the hormonal changes, okay then. They're kids. It's not like they're adults. So that's a different level. So other than that, it's always been with male instructional. So the people next down to the, the head supervisors, it's never been with females. Females I'm good with. It's just the males, it's like they try to bring that energy and they think I'm going to be quiet because I'm a female. And when I say something that matches it, they're like, oh, she she can get down with both of them. Yeah, yeah, best of them. Yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. Woo-wee, y'all. I think we got two more topics that we need to listen. <laughs> listen, we ain't coming to work. <laughs> but it's, it's real. It's, it's very yeah. real. Like, it kind of reminds me, you know, in our first season, we did an episode on imposter syndrome. But, you know, looking at it now with everything else that's going on. And I think, you know, Alyssa, given your perspective, you know, you get it from the males versus Alatoria. We're talking about from women. And I yeah, I, I, I've dealt with it in the past. I'm less likely to deal with it now because I've become this whole, what a, a disruptive scholar in which, you know, I'm always voicing my opinion because I know when I silence myself, it doesn't help the students or the people that I'm trying to bring up um, any better when I'm silencing myself. So thank you. Thank you for, for that. And then recognizing the energy uh, levels between that two. That's, yeah. For sure, for sure. So, y'all know we hate to end this thing. (laughs) We are about to come to a close, but there's definitely a few questions that we like to ask all of our guests before you all go. And so one of those questions are, well, actually this season's theme is unmasking. So we want to ask you, our guests, do you feel in any way, form, or area within your life, do you feel like you are wearing a mask or have you worn a mask? It doesn't have to be a physical mask. And then also, when did you realize you were potentially wearing a mask? 
I would say that I've been wearing a mask, like putting a cap on my ability, mm-hmm. just how great I am. Like, mm-hmm. only, you know, I had to get to that space that I could be good and decent at more than one thing. Because there was a point that, you know, at the comment of somebody else, I was starting to think that maybe I'm not that dope. <laughs> yeah. So uh, minimizing my abilities to fit what others perceived, that would be my mask. Mm-hmm. What well, was my mask? Because this is not there anymore. Was my mask. Come on. Come on. <laughs> With an elevator, mask off, forget it, mask off. Okay, so yeah, that's it. Um, but yeah, I think that that would be it, and I think that comes from that same realm of I minimize me because of who are my so-called friends and people I'm around questioning. How do you do this? How you got that? You're here. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm the only one out of my friends that you know, not married or don't have a child. So I can go. I don't have to make plans to find a babysitter. Something pop up. I can book my flight. It's a wrap. (laughs) You know, so I think that was part of the issue as well. And it's not like, oh, I don't want to marry and have kids. It just, it wasn't my time. So, you know, um, minimizing who I am just because of how they felt or how people felt, you know, that I, I can't be happy you know especially if they're not included so that part (laughs) that part you said a whole word (laughs) yeah it was my turn okay all right all right so mask I did have a mask on for a very long time it was not until I was at a friend's wedding and I was not in the wedding I had I was a sickly child not really sickly, but I just, I, my body just loves bacteria. Let's put it like that. And I was down and out. And the girl that I was supposed to be in the wedding, she took me out of the wedding because, you know, Olisa can't make it. Now I'm bleeding from a cyst from my anal cavity. You know where the anal cavity is. So I could not drive four and a half hours to be in her wedding. So she puts me out of the wedding. I was friends with her for like 10 years. So for you to just drop me like that because I didn't praise you, it made me unmask myself because all the time I followed what my friends wanted to do. I followed where she wanted to go. And the biggest day of her life, which a wedding is a ceremony. It's not your marriage. Okay. It's a, your union is what you're supposed to be focused on. Not the, not the, not the cake, not the reception, not how many people are there. You're supposed to be worried on your marriage, not the ceremony. Made me realize that anybody can be replaced. You know what I'm saying? And I had to realize that at that point because I had been her friend through thick and thin, abortions, you know, repoed car twice, you know, boyfriends, whatever. And I was always there, but who was, who, who, I wasn't there for me. So I had to make sure that I was there for me and to unmask myself and to make time for me because people can be replaced, but I will never replace myself. So I had to learn that from that point that when you're down and out and when you have afflictions or the trials of Job, because believe me, when I was teaching in D.C., I had five illnesses at the same time. I was on 10 different types of medication and I had nobody to lean on. I had to lean on myself and I had to speak up and say, this is too much. 
Because if I'm getting sick and nobody's reaching out, then I have to worry about myself first. I can't worry about any and everybody else making everybody else happy. I have to make myself happy first. And if I'm not happy, I'm going to tell you about it. Now, you can go and cry and cry in the closet if you want to, but I'm going to let you know that I can't do it. Because I've always been the superwoman for everybody. I've always had to take care of people. I've always had to deal with people. But I never took care of myself. And once I did that, and once I realized that in education, it's very stressful. And you got students that look, up at, you, look, at, you, look at you every single day. And you are their superhero for six and a half hours, including lunch. Because they never give you no time to eat. I had to make, make myself available for me. And that's when I took my mask off. And... Last year, especially with COVID, I had a, a person that was trying to date me, ghost me for three months and then come back and say, oh, I, I had to deal with COVID. Fool, we all dealing with COVID. What you talking about? You don't ghost nobody because of COVID. Weak excuse. We all quarantining over here. You know what I'm saying? That really sparked my interest because people use things as a crutch. Mm-hmm. And until we still got to stop looking at things as, as crutches and say we can do stuff instead of leaning on something because everybody's doing it then we all will have a mask on. Mm-hmm. And that made me realize that I have to look at myself, you know, as a pretty decent person. I'm 36. You know what I'm saying? I don't break a mirror. I don't have no kids. I want a fur baby, but I know that's going to be next year. Okay. Cause a fur child is a child too. Yes, it um, is. <laughs> it is. It is. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I can go where I want to go. And I also know that I look good for my age. I know I can wear my heels and I can wear my sneakers. I can either wear a heel or a sneaker on one other side of the foot. Hello. But <laughs> I have to make sure that in order for me to wear those heels and to wear those sneakers, that I have to be the best person. And I have to make sure that before I get on that stage, which is the classroom, I take care of myself. Mm. So speaking of taking care of yourself and putting on heels, because whenever I put on heels, it's because I'm listening to my music and I'm probably about to go out somewhere because other than it, you know, my my feet, I need on some tennis shoes. So (laughs) (laughs) voices we have, we have a Spotify playlist and we also have a Goodreads list. So can you share with us, like, what are some of your jams you're jamming to right now when you put on your heels or when you put on your sneakers? And then also, what are you reading right now? Well, being the nerd that I am, if you see in the back, these are all the books that I have bought from. See, I don't have enough space on my bookshelf. So these, this is where my Barnes and Noble stash go. It goes in a chair. So that's really bad. <laughs> but I'm reading currently Outlander. I like sci-fi a lot. So there's a, there's a series on stars. They, they've made it the book into a series. So I'm trying to read the book before it's I get amazing. Okay, great. That, that gives me hope because I'm almost done. I've been reading it on the train. So that's, I'm good. So I'm reading Outlander and then I'm trying to get back into more. I used to be an erotica person when I was in college because I was a late bloomer, you know what I'm talking about? So I'm trying to get more into, you know, knowing about the romantic part. I like romance books, not the ones with like the, the Fabio looking fool on the, on the front of cover or whatever, but just romantic period. So it could be with the vampire. It could be with like a knight and soldier. Um, I'm also looking into a lot of Jewish writers as well. When I read, Um, I am part Jewish. So I'm trying to look more into that side of my culture because Jewish history is deep. 
I mean, that's biblical going all the way back to now, especially with persecution and being ridiculed, especially in this country for overtaking. I mean, y'all know. So I'm looking into that in terms of reading. Music wise, I still have an iPod Nano from 2006. So, I mean. <laughs> okay. Anything. Oh, it still works. It don't, it don't charge in like, it doesn't charge in my iHome, but if I put it in my computer, it'll work. So anything from R&B, my mom was a, 40, a 45 and a vinyl person. So anything that was on a vinyl, I listened to. Aaliyah was my favorite. That's my email address. So when you saw it, whoever looked at the email, like, oh, that's a, yeah, that's because, yeah. Anything that has a melody, anything that has a message, I listen to everything from Millie Jackson to Mozart. So that is on my playlist. Like I said, I have an iPod Nano. I have an iPod Classic, you know, the big joints that were like this big. They're real heavy. I got one of those. I can't listen to music today because they talk about three things, sex, money, and drugs. And it might be a lie. It might be truth. It's like two minutes in the melody and then they get paid. So I don't listen to that. That's pretty much it. And then if I don't, I'm not reading like grad school book, you know, right. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I'm reading is uh, sci-fi, Knights in Shining Armor and How to Get It On. Okay. I, I'm not mad at it. It's the diversity for me. <laughs> yeah, you just got to be diverse. You know what I'm saying? That's just how I am. I just, I find something. I have Stephen King's I haven't read yet. I love Stephen King because he can go different polar opposites every single time. Eric Jerome Dickey, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. I, I, I collected his books over my college years. I'm about to get that last one that's going to drop next month. I did Sister Soldier. I got hers sitting over here in the chair. So any good read, anything that is historical, accurate fiction, I'm going to pick it up. And our very last question is, what does Black Women Voices mean to you? It means to have a platform for those that never had one. Mm. It's also a uh, place that Black women can be themselves and that also can share their struggles as well as their, their triumphs. Because I feel like as a Black woman, sometimes or as we as Black women don't get a chance to talk about our successes because we're always looking at somebody else's successes and then praising them. And that's good, but we also have to praise ourselves. So that's what I think about when it comes to this platform is how to praise and also how to voice your opinion in a free-based platform. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Whew. So yeah, you came with the knowledge, you know, your experiences, your triumphs, your, your struggles. And then you hit us with, you know, some diversity in who you are in regards to your, your music and uh, your heels and your shoes. You know, I'm always going for the Jordans. I can't do Jordans. You know? They're too bulky. I'm very OCD. I got to make sure the shoe makes my foot look small. Oh, I'm gosh. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to go out and, and, and look at it and stuff. Like, I'm in the middle yeah. of virgin right now. So I got to I gotta find out what I'm going to throw out. You know, I got to make sure my heel ain't hanging off the back of the, you know. I just got to do that. <laughs> I love shoes. I love shoes. But I, you know, just to speak a little bit before Jasmine, you wrap us up, this whole idea of celebrating our successes. I really thank you for that comment, because a lot of times we talk about our struggles. And when we talk about our successes, it's like we talk about it behind closed doors with certain people. But having this platform where you can share those, that means a lot to know that that's what it means to you. So thank you for sharing. Yes, yes. Thank you, Alisa, for joining us today. I know our other special guests had to jump off a little bit early, but we're so grateful and we're so thankful. Dr. V, and did you all want to share or add anything before we conclude? 
Nope. I think all this on my part, everything that needs to be said is said. (laughs) I just thank you for your transparency. I think that this was just uh, a really great dialogue. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited for folks to, to listen and really draw some things that were said today. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for having me. Like I said, when I saw the doctor, I was like, oh my God, I don't have a DR in front of my name. I feel better now that, you know, I'm saying everything, you know, I could be transparent with you guys and and share, you know, some of my experiences because I'm telling you, I've been I've been through the trials of Job. You know what I'm saying? And I'm still trying to make it out of Revelations. Okay, girl, you better give us a reference. Come on. Come on. And I used to pronounce it as job. So that that tells you I've been through the ringer. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I've been through the trials of Job. You know what I'm saying? I, I know, I know. I, 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 mm. Mm, yeah. I've had to eat yogurt and, and, you know, spam for a whole week. I know. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Appreciate you. We definitely appreciate your yeah. space. And you made it on the other side. I mean, I think that's also just really powerful. Other side and Georgia Avenue. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what about you, future Dr. C? What- listening to what are you reading well what i'm listening to right now which is probably real heavy uh the, one of my one of my friends from home you know she's one of my singing mates or she's singing a group as well uh, she just released her song called 2010 and i promise you it's been playing over and over and over on my commute to work to and from i listened to it while i was walking today but it's basically her story and saying that god has kept her and 2010 was a year that he's been keeping her. So it's very relatable because we all have these trials. You know, she's been ill, had, you know, had some difficulty with her children and her brother's been killed and she still don't have answers. So it's like, you know, very relatable. And just a reminder that, you know, God keeps outside of the holy music. I've been rocking to Jasmine Sullivan lately. Oh, gosh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do a whole different, whole different show on that. That. It's, a vibe. it's a vibe but it's, it's it's interesting you know so she's giving us like our r&b cardi megan <laughs> you know, to be honest so and i'm more of an r&b person so i guess but i still rap to you know megan and cardi too you know don't get it twisted as long as your knee's good you're right <laughs> look try to stay together <laughs> um and then i guess another random would be snow allegra yes yeah so uh, i i like her it's a very sensual vibe mm-hmm. so that's that's what i listen to mainly i, I walk to those sensual vibes okay uh, we, i ain't gonna speak on that but okay <laughs> so what about your what about your books <laughs> my books right now are urban economics <laughs> <laughs> business and finance and higher education how colleges work all of my books for my doctoral program <laughs> got you got you. And probably my my research and my dissertation that i'm working on is my greatest read right now continue to make an edit makes sense makes that's sense. life but of course i think it's the bible you know yes the holy word Come the on. word motivation <laughs> always we need it rather regardless of where we are in life we need that absolutely and lastly you know tell us what this podcast means you so this podcast um it's refreshing honestly 
although it is a podcast, I think the network is also a major point, uh, mm-hmm. a part of it, shall I say. And just hearing, you know, women from different walks going in a similar direction, but taking a variety of steps to get there, right. sharing, sharing their, you know, their progress and failures. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um, and then realizing I'm not alone in an area that I may have, may have failed in or succeeded in, you know, other people are doing it. So it makes you feel good to know that you have some support or people that are doing what you do, even if you don't really know them. So the podcast allows or grants a space for, for uplift, you know, inspiration, enhancement to be unmasked. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So, I mean, I think it's really a a safe space and we can be unapologetic about our responses and how we feel. And it's a kind of a moment like our after five to unwind. So I appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate you. So, you know, y'all keep it up. We're going to try. We're going to try. <laughs> thank you for that. So thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Black Women Voices. Once again, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as check out the actual feed on SoundCloud, Apple Music, and Google Play. Yep, I think that's all of them. Until next time. <laughs>